Well, I hope you're ready to change the world. I know with all of us, we start out when we're born again, maybe with some zeal. Everyone's a little different in their personalities. Some people have zeal, so they're always, it doesn't matter if it's for God or for being the life of the party, they're the life of the party. Before they met God, they still had zeal, but now they're saved. Some people have hunger, where they're hungering for more of God, more truth, more wisdom. Some people have passion. They want to experience God. They want to know God. We all get jealous when they worship God and they have their crying and weeping and we're wondering what's going on with them every service and, you know, and they're passionate. So all of us come with different traits and God uses those traits to draw us to him. I remember I asked God one time, I said, Father, it's not fair that when I was talking to him, he said something along the lines of, it was my hunger that was allowed him to bring me closer to him. I said, God, that's not fair. I said, that's just not fair. Why would you give me hunger and not give it to my friends who've all stopped serving God? I got God when I was 18. There's a group of us that started to serve God at the same time. And most of them, it's not that they stopped serving God. They just accepted a regular lifestyle. They're good people that go into, the good people that are going to heaven. But so few made the transition over to really serving God with their whole life. And how many know people like that? And, and I remember saying, God, it's not fair that you gave me hunger and you didn't give it to my friends. Why, why would you give me hunger so you could bring me closer and not give it to them? And the Lord corrected me and said, oh, no, I didn't give you hunger. I found hunger in you. And because I found hunger in you, I used that to draw you closer to me. And so whatever is in you, whether you're the life of the party or whether you're passionate for experience or you're, you're sincere, whatever is in you, God will use that. But he always brings us to the same place, no matter what it was, hunger, zeal, passion, brings us to the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit then can lead us step by step. Because if you just rely on hunger to go into God, it'll bring you so far, but then it will take you off. And you'll end up going to the wrong place to get educated and learn from the wrong person. If it's just passion for God, it will take you so far, then it will stop and take you off course, where that passion that took you to God will take you away from God. The devil will make sure of it. If it's zeal, that you're just excited about life and want to do something for God, that'll take you so far, but then it will take you off course. The only one who's capable of really taking you through life, through the attacks of the enemy, through the the arguments internally with your natural man, the only one who's capable to take you through all of that is the Holy Spirit. And if without the Holy Spirit, good luck. No, truthfully, today I want to just share the difference, try to explain some of the difference between what we call religion. When I say religion, most people go to a place of legalism, laws, and they think of robes. They think of uh, you know going to a church where they, they all show up and no one sings. I remember I had some experience in a Pentecostal church. And then I, I went to a church that was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And I was only 18. 
and I went into the church, and the experience I had, people got up and clapped. And I'm in this Seventh-day Adventist church, and, and someone came out and sang and did something, and I remember I clapped, <laughs> and no one else clapped. <laughs> and it was so odd because the preacher came in, and everyone stood at the exact same time. They were trained how to stand, when to stand, and they all sat down at the same time. And so when we think religion, a lot of times that's what we think, of just, you know, be a sheep, just go and, and follow the, what everyone else does. And we think of laws and regulations and uh, robes. Religion is anything that keeps you thinking you're serving God, but keeps you out of experiencing what God has for you. And a lot of the church world today would say they're not religious, but they're as religious as someone wearing a robe. They wear jeans and T-shirts in the service, and they're free, but they're as bound by religion as anyone wearing a robe and, a, and whatever else you want to think of that they do. So the devil's been around for a long time. He's had over 6,000 years of practice on people before you. The devil's been around for, is practicing for 6,000 years plus on people, on how to get them to stop following God. And he's, all that practice has trained him, taught him how to handle you, how to stop you from fulfilling what God has for you. Because he's not afraid of you. You know, Once you're going to heaven, then you're pretty much a write-off to him. But he is going to stop you from letting God work through you to have an impact on this world. And if that's the case, then how easy is it for him to nullify, take the power away from the church, if he can get you to serve God your way instead of God's way? I think I want to start in Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'll start in verse 12. Again, we're talking about really not settling for a religious lifestyle. Allowing the Holy Ghost to lead you in life. So many believers, they, they're going to go through this whole life. You know, I remember Brother Norval told me one time, said, Alan, one day you're 70 or 17, the next day you're 70. <laughs> you know, and you don't think that's true when you're 20, but when you get older, you're like, wow, that's pretty true, you know. Especially when you have kids, time goes by quick. Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we did not condemn ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we have sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, that verse there to me describes religion for a Christian going to heaven completely. Let me read that again. Verse 15. And he died for all. And those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So religion allows you to live for yourself and serve God at the same time. A lot of people are going to go to heaven, and they'll, they'll think they have a stack of works that are going to give them a reward. And when they get there, it's going to burn up. And they'll say, well, God, I did this, I did that. And he said, 
I had one plan for you to take your body to the altar. We got to be careful because we can take a stack of good attributes about you. Maybe you're kind to people. Maybe you're a good cook. Maybe you're generous in your giving to people. You're thoughtful of people. Maybe you're passionate. Maybe you're zealous. Whatever it is, we can make a stack of good things about you. And then we could take a stack of bad things about you that probably no one knows much about, but you know all about. We can cut a line down and say, I'm going to take the bad works, the the hard things. I'm going to separate that over here. I'm going to take the good things that I have. And that's, that's God. But see, here it's explaining something very powerful, and I hope we can get this today. Verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now here he's talking about mostly about Jewish heritage. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things that pass away, behold, all things become new. Now, how many remember the day you were born again? And you went to the altar, and, and, you know, for some of us, I had a little experience where I felt something change in me. Uh, But you don't necessarily have to feel something to accept that you're born again. But here it says that all things have become new. We are a new creation. That's the moment you became a new creation, the moment you were born again. How many are glad that you're born again? All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation the moment you're saved. So a new creation is different than a remodeled creation. Now, let me. I know this may be basic for some of you, but I think if we don't get the basic down, what, what use is it to move on? If skip grade one, you can't go to grade two. But some people don't know this yet. They don't have it in their heart yet. That you're a new creation. That means that God isn't taking the person you were before you were saved and then filtering out the bad stuff and keeping the good stuff and then moving forward with you. But that's how most Christians think living for God is. I got this good attribute. I got this good thing. I'm nice, I'm nice to people. I, I offer this to God. I give it to God. And those bad things, I push them aside. But here he says you're a new creation. Not a remodeled, not a fix. He didn't take you from the world and then just remodel you a little bit. This is new, brand new, born again. The moment you're saved, that's the moment you came to life. Before that moment, you were dead. You were destined for hell. There was no hope for you until you accepted Jesus. And he made you a new creation. That means you're a new person, a whole new creature. One that never existed before that moment. Let me add some more to this. You're a new creation, a new creature that didn't exist before the moment you were born again. Think about when a mother holds the baby for the first time. And here she is, she's looking at him or her and holding the child. And right away you're judging who it looks like. You know, does it look more like the mom or the dad or the grandma or the grandpa? And who's, who's side one, you know? And you're, you're judging, you know, all the fingers are there, all the toes are there. You're, you're looking at this new creature that you never met before. You're looking at it. Well, that's like you when you're born again. 
you're a new creature. You're a new creation. That was your birth. That's when life started. I used to make fun of people when they'd say, oh, it's my spiritual birthday. You know, wish me happy birthday, you know. They'd say, it's my birthday today. Well, I didn't know it was your birthday. Facebook didn't tell me. And then they say, they say, oh, no, no, my spiritual birthday. And I say, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you know, but now I think, man, they really are right. Because that's the day you were born. In God's eyes, that's your start. That's when you begin. Now, we've been talking a lot about cocoon and butterflies and, and those things. And, and I love the imagery of it to help explain the process of going from being born again into being a man and woman of God. You know, that you're a new creation in a cocoon when, when you start to go into the transformation stage. See, that's why there's transformation available to us. Because we're born again a new creature. But why is there transformation? If I, am I a brand new creature fully mature? Or do I have the image of God in me and now I can mature from that image? See, with a, a caterpillar, the way i seen it described was it's got some little modules in it when it's born. And it crawls around like a caterpillar. Then at a certain time it builds a cocoon. It crawls into the cocoon. And, and those little modules kick in at that time. And those little modules tell the body to dissolve. And the body dissolves and rebuilds itself as a butterfly with wings. And that's one of the reasons I don't like the word identity. That I identify, you know, when Christians are going through hard times, they say, I identify. And, and sometimes they can mean I identify with my good self, not my bad self. But we don't want to identify with the good self or the bad self. We want to identify with who Christ is making me. But you can be a caterpillar before the cocoon, a Christian before you go through transformation, and say, I identify with a butterfly. And then if you jump off the building, you're going to die. Because you're not a mature butterfly yet. Your wings haven't grown yet. We can't just identify with something we haven't grown to yet. It's like my kids. My kids are constantly identifying with their older self. Can I drive? I can drive. No, you can't. Yeah, I can drive. I'm ready. No, you can't. I can drive, I can drive. No, you can't. But see, until you're older and mature and you actually have wings, you don't need to try to fly. And we have destroyed so many people's lives by sending them out as butterflies. Go out and pray for the sick. Go out and do these things. Those are all great until they have horrible experiences and they come to realize, I can pray for some sick, they get healed. I pray for others, they don't. And so they either settle with that or they go back to where they have to mature and grow. Am I still making sense today? So we are a new creation that began the moment we were born again. See, we're not like a caterpillar where it's in your construction to dissolve and yield it over to the cocoon. Because a caterpillar will build a cocoon. They do. I've got caterpillars all around my house. And you see them one day and then they disappear and they build little cocoons and they come out later. You know, so it's in them to do it. They yield over to the process of the cocoon, to the process of metamorphosis. But you're not made like that. Your body has no modules in it that says at such and such age, you're going to transform into a different creature. See, a, a caterpillar was designed by God for that process. You were not designed by God for that. 
So when you met God, he inserted a new nature into you, took out the old nature, inserted a new nature, which is what we call that, I'd call that the module, the butterfly module. He inserted it into you against a flesh, a body that's not willing to transform. How many of you had flesh that says, yeah, we're going to go, go to the altar. Praise God, I'm going to go and you're going to stab me. Yes, let's go. The moment your natural body got hold of the idea that you were not going to give it your life. Because most people, let me, let me make this statement, most Christians live their life yielding over to their natural body's desires, intents, and plans for it. If you follow someone through their life and they start off at two, you can start to analyze their life, their personalities. Even at the age of two, three, you start to see different personalities. Sometimes, you know, in before in the mother's womb, they have little personalities. I think Ava, Ava was gentle in the mother's womb. Harrison was a bucking bronco. Christy argued with her stomach for nine months. Like, what do you do? Quit kicking me. You know, stop it, you know. And he was like that when he came out. You know, so our personalities are part of our natural DNA that we inherit many times. Well, if you live your life by your, the way you think about yourself, then you're really not walking as the new creature. Because maybe the new creature that God has planned for you and wants you to be is different than the creature you were before. And if you're not careful, you'll ignore what God has for you and live your life on what you were before. Because the difference between a religious Christian and a spirit-led Christian or a spirit-built Christian is a spirit-built Christian has to go through warfare, has to resist and fight the devil at every corner, whereas a religious Christian can get bypass the warfare. And many times that's how the devil pins people to a certain type of belief system in their life. They're still going to heaven. They still love God, but they found a way to serve God and not have to mortify the flesh. Not have to face the fight of the enemy. And I said, oh, wait, this is nice. I found a spot right here. There's no, there's no tornadoes. There's no wind blowing. There's no struggles. It's just me, and, and I can take charge of me. And we're going to do good. Praise God. And we'll give God our time. We'll give God our, our finances. We'll give God our resources. But I'm still in charge of my life. And that's where religion thrives in America. It allows people to go to church. Thank God most of them will go to heaven. But it stops them from walking with God to the fullness of who God has made them. You're a new creature that started the moment you're born again. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So you are a new creation the moment you're saved. That means that Everything you think about yourself, everything you learned about yourself growing up has nothing to do with who you are today. Now, because you're wearing a natural body, it doesn't go willingly into the cocoon where it's going to dissolve. 
And this is where most people struggle because your natural body isn't just your body. It's not your fingers and toes. It's the emotional makeup, the natural soul, as they say, mind, will, and emotions. You have a natural part of your soul, mind, will, and emotions. But understand that you were made by God, or Adam was made by God, to live in both worlds at the same time, spiritual and natural. So he's a spiritual creature as much as he's a natural creature. And they were completely joined, the natural body and the inner body. In other words, Adam was made to have a natural mind, will, and emotions, and it was connected to the spiritual mind, will, and emotions. But the moment you were saved, the inward man was brought to life. The inward body was brought to life by the new nature. So now you have a spiritual side of your soul, mind, will, and emotions, that is alive and light, but it's, it's a baby. And you've got the outward side of your mind, will, and emotions of your soul that is dark and trained and fully mature and willing to fight you if you tell it what it is like to hear. Do you ever wonder why you struggle with things like praying and fasting? I mean, we think back to Sunday school. and What's pray, read your Bible, pray, worship God. Not much fasting in Sunday school, but, but you know, the basics. But yet, when we get older, we kind of ignore the basics. Well, I was praying. You're praying too much. No one ever told me I was giving too much, but yet I'm praying too much. You're fasting too much. One day I'll tell myself that, hey, you're fasting too much. If I fast for a minute, my body tells me that's enough. I yield, I yield. I don't want you yielding, I want you dead. So a lot of believers, they they pursue God with what they have in the natural. And they never even begin the transformation over to walking as this new creature. And uh, I think I shared it a couple weeks ago about a man who called us up, a wealthy man that loves us, loves our ministry, and said, hey, I'm going to have a car lot and, and I'm going to start sending you finances every month. And then, of course, after, before the, the next month began, <laughs> we got a call. I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. I had full intentions of sending you blessing upon blessing every month. But something odd happened. The moment after I called you and said I was going to donate to you every month, all hell broke loose and my business has gone to, gone to pot. We hear that story a lot when someone in the religious world tries to come over to the spiritual world and say, I'm in, I'm in. The enemy sets target on them and they've not developed their life resisting the enemy. They've not had to grow themselves up within a warfare. They've grown their natural man, their, the one from the old creation, and have assigned it to serving God. So as soon as the enemy comes against them, they're fumbling and struggling because they have to grow their calling within the warfare. They can't just abort. They can't just choose. Today I'm serving God this way. The next day I'm serving God that way. The moment you start serving God the right way, the enemy comes to stop you. And do you know that he's met a million people just like you? A million passionate people. He's met a million zealous people. A million hungry people. He's met millions of them. Billions of them. And if we look through history, we'll find out that almost all of them, he has nullified their walk with God. That he is well trained by when he meets you. He's like, oh, I know you. You ever meet people you met before? 
I learned this in Bible college. Pastor Bobby told us as leaders, he said, listen, every year, same devils show up, just different faces. <laughs> and what he was saying was the people that they're struggling with stuff, it'll just be like it next year, but the different people, it's very common. And so there's sometimes you'll meet people, they walk the same as someone you met before. And they act the same they have, because their personality is similar. And similar personality traits look similar. And even in the way they walk and talk and laugh, all kinds of things. Well, the devil's met a million of you and defeated all of them. And they trained him to help him to be better at stopping you. Because what you have in your, your life is something that God wants. He has a plan for you to change the world one way or another. But he has to do it through his power, through his wisdom. Because his wisdom teaches you how to walk with God and overcome everything the devil throws against you. Man, so many people in the years start praying in tongues. And we get them praying in tongues and all of a sudden all hell would break loose around them. You know, like, man, my car broke down. My kids are going crazy. My finances. It's like, yeah, welcome to praying in tongues. Well, is this supposed to bring me blessing? It depends what you describe as blessing. Let me ask you a question. What is real blessing? What is a real reward for you? If you're a mama, the reward is your kids in heaven. That's the greatest reward. And once you see that, you don't worry about all the other stuff. That's the most important. My kids will be in heaven with me for eternity. A millionaire will give a million dollars all away to see their kid healthy. There's certain things in life you're going to hit that are impossible for you to fix in natural ability. The doctors can't help you. The economy can't help you. You know, we have to be careful as Americans because we live in a, a flourishing economy. We have people wanting to vote on a $15 minimum wage. And I'm not, I'm not getting political here. Although you need to pray for your president and you need to pray for your country. But there's people who want to, you know, they'll fight over a $15 minimum wage in America that, you know, we need to have at least $15 for everyone who works. But yet you go just a couple hundred miles off of Florida, and there's a country there where they make $2 a week. $2 a week is what they make. And we think we deserve this and this. Well, because of the country you're in, praise God for it. But don't take that for granted that the rest of the world stands at the same starting point that you do when it comes to finances. Because it doesn't matter where in the world you are, if you're born again, you have access to God's kingdom. And see, part of the trick of religion for Americans is that we can walk in a certain amount of health and prosperity just by being born in this country. And then we can attribute it to God, but it wasn't God at all. Oh, boy. What if all your blessings that you have in the natural came from the natural, but God has something different for you? What if the direction of your life that your parents set you on, that your natural personality set you on, that your characteristics set you on? Because it's very easy if someone sings in church. Go ahead and look at all the famous singers right now. And I'll bet you 50% of them, you can trace their roots all the way back to a good old church where they were raised singing and and then the world came in and then bought their gift. So if you come to church and you sing and you sing well, 
there's a good chance I'm going to put you on the podium to sing for God. <laughs> right? That's a natural gift. Not everyone can sing. Those of us who can, we, we just take it as God's blessing, you know. <laughs> Let's go over to Luke chapter 7, or chapter 6. I want to paint a picture today of what salvation really purchased you. You know, when we went to the prayer closet the first time, Pastor Dave said, if you pray in tongues a lot, it will change you. Well, I got excited because to me, change meant a new car and a new house and a big ministry. They have an old saying, if you're a farmer, that if you got a farm dog that kills a chicken and tastes the blood of the chicken, you can't cure it. You have to put the dog down. Otherwise, the dog will kill all your chickens. But there's no fixing a chicken-eating dog, I think is the way they say it. But there was one farmer that figured out how to fix it. Was He took the chicken he killed and tied it around the dog's neck and let that chicken rot on the dog. And the dog couldn't get rid of it. And it just rotted and smelled, drove the dog crazy. It drove him so crazy that so the dog by his own self decided, I ain't ever going to kill a chicken again. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a good preaching story either way. But see, God does that for you too. With your flesh, when you're trying to avoid your flesh and sometimes spiritualize the flesh. See, when we take the flesh and draw a line down the middle and say, okay, this is the good part of me. This is the bad part of me. Now, God wants the good part and we celebrate the good parts, but we, you know, the bad parts we're trying to change. That is totally wrong when it comes to the picture of salvation. Salvation is not left side good, right side bad. Salvation is at this point when you got saved, a line is drawn and you're a new creation. But you're still wearing the body of the old creation. In my message about the body is to really emphasize that the body is so much more than your fingers and your toes. It's the natural man that's at war with the inner man. That's why you can be passionate for, I want to pray. God, why am I, what's resisting me? You know, you don't even need the devil. Your, your natural body itself will fight you. Because when you went to prayer the first time, just like I did, you probably had different ideas of what prayer would produce. And so me and my flesh, we were holding hands as we sang my song. Going to the prayer closet, going to get a new car, going to get a big ministry, a new house. Yay, we're going to the prayer closet, going to have a worldwide ministry. Money, money, money. Everything's good, good, good. And then after a week or two of praying, because my body would come with me, and my natural man would sit outside of the prayer closet. So he's not in the conversation that's happening. He's not receiving the, the rewards of the prayer. Hey, where's the new car? I've given up 20 hours this week and no new car. Where's the big house? What's going on? How come, I'm, how come every time you go to the prayer closet, I start to hurt? I start to lose. Then one day you go to go pray and you go, let's go flesh. And you grab your flesh. Going to... What are you doing? I'm not going. I'm not going today. I'm not going to do it. And your flesh will act like a little child. Sometimes it will reward you for giving what it wants. Other times it will punish you by putting up a tantrum. So much that you're so miserable. I laugh now 
on this side of it, when people call and say, I've been prayed, it is just so hard. Every time my emotions are going crazy, so yeah. Well, what's, what am I doing wrong? No, that means you're doing everything right. Just don't listen to your natural emotions. Keep praying. Because that's your natural man pitching a fit. If you're not going to give me what I want, I'm going to make you feel like a loser, like a failure. So you can either try to shine up the good parts of your old man and present it to God. Or you can mortify the good and the bad. Because he's not interested in the good part of your old man. He's interested in what is built from his wisdom in his knowledge that you're now from the new nature can enjoy, walk in, and overcome. The difference between you and a caterpillar is a caterpillar a caterpillar body goes willingly into the cocoon and willingly submits to the module because it was of being turned into mush to be rebuilt as a, a butterfly. It can do that because it was made like that. You were not made to be a creature that has to go through this war. You were not made like that. It was never in the natural man's design. So you're going to hit that wall of conflict where your outward man fights against your inward man. Your inward body has a brain that is spiritual, that is now alive because of the new nature. The nature lives within the inner body. That's why when you go to heaven, you're not brainless. Even though when you're on this earth, if we open up your brain in an autopsy, we'll find there's material gray matter there, hopefully. And here you are walking around heaven, you still have a brain. How many know when you get to heaven, you're not emotionless? There's, there's the emotions in heaven. But they're all good emotions. Well, they're not the good emotions of your natural man. See, I have a dog that has emotions. Joy, peace, anger, jealousy. But it's all from its chemically-based body. You have a body that has emotions. They're all chemically-based. And I can make your body excited about good things by offering you good things. I'm going, to, I'm going to have church today. And, and, and God bless every preacher who gets people born again. You know, one preacher's like, my church has doubled since I started offering free barbecue after the service. Like, yeah, that'll work. That'll get lots of people in church. I'm going to offer a new car. For everyone who comes, we'll do a rally, a new car. Well, you will build your church that way real quick because the natural man is attracted to things that gives it a reward. Well, what's attracting you? Let me pause you right here, because I'm preaching to you. What's attracting you to go into the furnace of the all-consuming fire of God? What's so attracting you to pray, to fast? What's attracting about fasting? Someone give me an idea. Say, well, you'll lose weight. Yeah, I lost weight, but then I gained it all back. So that doesn't work for long. I remember talking to Pastor Dave. I said, Pastor Dave, I have a problem. Because what do I, I've been really killing it in my long fast. You know, I do longer fast, and I'm I'm doing great. I mean, I'm losing lots of weight, but I mean, I'm in control. I'm thriving. I'm doing great. But then when I get off the fast, I mean, the millisecond I'm off the fast, it drive me nuts. Pastor Dave said, "Well, you fast forty days, then you, you come off of it with melon and salad, and you do that for about a week." In my brain, once the fast is over, by God, the fast is over. 
I mean, I've, I've inhaled whole pizzas off after a long fast. And after the pizza, you want to eat everything you thought of while you were fasting. That's why there's never a good day to fast, because there's always something special going on somewhere. And I said, Pastor Dave, when I'm in the fast, I'm killing it. I'm doing really great. But then with the moment I'm off the fast, I'm as much out of control as I was in control. Where I would eat like there was no tomorrow. And he said, well, Alan, that's the reason for fasting. To be able to express control over your body at all times. You're not just spiritual and then you're carnal. <laughs> you're always wearing this carnal body till the day you die. And it's always going to fight you and resist you because it has a mind of its own. It has an emotion of its own. It has plans and purposes for you that were inherited from the very beginning of your birth. But you have a rebirth, a salvation. God didn't save your body. Listen carefully. God did not save your body. Your body is going to be left here to rot. He has saved you, and you're wearing this outward body. But thank God you have an inward body that's alive now because of new nature. I just read a prophecy from a while back. I think it was Pastor Dave. And in it it said, the new nature is a candle to your spirit. That the new nature brought to life your inner body. And now because your inner body is alive, you can worship God, fellowship with God, learn the deep things of God intellectually, but spiritually intellectually. Those who make fun of Christians say, well, you just can't be intellectual. That's just silly. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're trying to serve God in their carnal thinking, their carnal man. And they have no idea that they have an inward man that's a little tiny baby that has to grow up and is starving for spiritual food, spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is not about spiritual things. (laughs) How do I say this? If you're successful in this world, if you're a mess in this world, you know you're a mess, so you'll take help from everywhere. But if you're successful and the world promotes those things in you, those attributes in you, they bring money to you, they bring people who like you, they bring good things to you, God wants that to be sacrificed, mortified, as much as the bad things. In fact, they're more dangerous because you can bring them over into the category of good, And then therefore, if they're good, they're God. So I'm bringing these attributes over to serve God. But really, you're just keeping your flesh alive. And he'll come back and bite you one day. And it will, of all things, stop you from developing the inner man's wisdom and knowledge. Because you have an inner man that is starving for the knowledge of God. Who wants to sit and pray for 20 hours, 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week? I mean, who really wants to do that? I remember just saying, I don't pray because I want to. I can be doing much more things productive and fun, (laughs) you know, to the natural man. Why would you fast? Oh, I'm fasting. You know, what, what good is there to fasting? Why would you sit and worship God? Well, why are you doing that? The reason you are doing that because you developed a hunger of spiritual hunger. You've allowed the spiritual hunger to grow inside of you to where it begins to pull you places that your natural man is complaining about. That's why you're so foreign to normal Christians. Because they have no idea, why are you doing that? But they don't see the fruit of it. It's like someone says, why do you, why do you spend that much time praying? I can just say, why do you go to first grade and second grade? Why do you spend 12 years in school? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just live life? Go for it. Well, I had to learn. 
grow, how to mature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's your answer. Well, I couldn't get a job if I didn't have my education. Can't get a job if I don't have my high school diploma. Can't get a good job if I don't have my college degree. So I had to go to school. So why are Christians in Yes, so I have to go to school too if I want to walk with God and the things that he has for me. He has to educate me from his wisdom. He has to teach me from his wisdom. He doesn't want, let me be clear, he, I'm trying to draw this, the religious line. He doesn't want us to take our good attributes and direct them towards serving God. He wants you to kill your good attributes. He's not interested in your good attributes. Just because I can sing doesn't mean I'm called to worship. Just because I'm six foot nine doesn't mean I'm called to play basketball. But if I go by my natural attributes into my future, the world will reward the things in my natural man that it likes to take from me. You take a football player, he'll play a good lineman, I think plays four years, five years, and his body's so beat up that the rest of his life he suffers. But, you know, the world will pay him, if he's really good, good money for those four or five years. Once they get out of football, the world gets rid of them. We don't need you anymore. They have to go find other jobs and careers. Because the world will take you when they get something from you. That's why you get all these singers out there. They sing in church, they love God, and then the world notices. And then the world goes and grabs them and pulls them and attracts them and pays them. And it's not necessarily because they want to get paid. Sometimes they just don't know what they're doing. They think they're serving God. Worldliness, the world, the creature you were born, is not the creature God wants to walk with. There's a, a time of mortification, of letting go of the good and the bad. The church world, the normal religious church world, and again, we, for what it does, praise God. But we can take all the churches in Tulsa and fill them up on Sunday. And there's probably 10% of Tulsa in church. That's not revival. Religion will never get us to revival. Being good people will never get us to revival. Doing good things for God in the name of God will never get us to revival. Those are good things and God's appreciative of all of them. But we are not called to that as a church. We're called to birth a revival of the impossible. That's what we're called to do, to make it where it's normal, the first time, every time, that everyone who came to Jesus received their miracle. Everyone who comes to us, we want them to also meet that Jesus, not a, a different Jesus. That's why it's so wrong to just go out and pray for people randomly, because you'll leave a swath of people that didn't get their victory. And you got your practice. You got to be able to put it on Facebook. You got to tell people you did your good deed. But there they were. Two people got healed. Five people did not. You just taught two people God's a healer. And you taught five people that God isn't a healer. Now I'm getting mean. I better get back on track here. Luke chapter 6. We'll start in verse 34. or 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For man do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. 
for out of the abundance of evil his mouth speaks. So a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Now he's telling them about the process of salvation here. That right now at this moment before Jesus died, everyone was a bad tree. It was impossible for them to produce good fruit. Are we in agreement? So before Jesus died, he looked at the people and said, you're a bad tree. Even though you're Israel, even though you're a Pharisee and you serve God in the old covenant, you're still a bad tree. And you're only going to bring forth bad fruit. So even their works for God were to Jesus a bad fruit. Only from a good tree comes good fruit. So now you're born again. You're wearing the old bad tree. And you have a new tree inside that's growing that can only grow from the wisdom of God. There's two different species going on here. And that's the mortification process. That's the the transformation process. Is going from one species life to living out of another species life. A completely different species. Not a modified human. Not a glorified human. Not a shinied up human. But a new creation. A child of God. And so much religion in America has allowed people to spend their whole life serving God out of their outward man. And to do that, let me just be clear, to do that, I have to preach a message right in the sweet spot here where your flesh comes in and I don't pick a fight with your flesh so much that it begins to reject my message. I have to give your flesh something. You know how I got the last few days of fasting sometimes? By negotiating with my flesh. Hey, when I'm done, I'll give you that cheesecake. In fact, I'm ordering it right now to be delivered at 12.01 midnight after the fast. Click. (laughs) But many believers think that the good part of them is God. The bad part of them is the devil. The things that you quantify as evil, as bad, hurtful. We put that in the area of, oh, that's the devil. Then the good things, well, this is good about me, so that's God. But I'm here to tell you God is interested in none of it. He wants you to start again the moment you're born again. Put yourself through school like your parents put you through school. So you can be educated and learn what God has for you. Because the plan that God has for you has to come from His wisdom, not from the worldly wisdom. He doesn't reach into the worldly wisdom that you gained from this world and bring it over to God, to His side. He has His own plan for you, His own desires, His own wisdom, and you're only going to get that from Him. Verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? For whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them... I will show him whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against whom the streams beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, 
and the ruin of that house was great. So he's mentioning two houses. And one who follows the wisdom of God is building their house on a rock that the storms of this life cannot destroy. But the one who builds it on the earth, you know, earth is really simple. It's the ground on natural wisdom would be a great definition here. The wisdom of this world. The world will be glad to tell you how to be a Christian. When we had all the, the chaos going on the last year, I've heard the world yell at the church that you should be doing this, you should be doing that. Let me tell you, the world has no idea what the church is supposed to be like. They want to try to frame you. Hey, if you're this, I'll like you. Well, God, you know, it's like when you, when you come to church and you bring your, your mom finally comes to church. You've been working on her for six years. You finally get her convinced to come to church. And the only prayer you have is, God, please don't let that crazy lady who dances and spins around and sings too loud and falls out and, and goes into intercession. Please don't let her come today. Don't let her come today. My mom, she'll accept you. I know it, but it has to be where she can see it. But that, if the crazy lady shows up, my mom's going to think I'm, I'm crazy too. And what happens? What happens every time? And where does a crazy lady sit? All of a sudden, she decides to sit right in front of your mom. Because that's God saying, hey, mom, if you're going to come to me, it's on my terms, not on your terms. We've got to build our house upon the rock. What's that song? Don't build your house on a sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Might be kind of nice, but you have to build it twice. You have to build your house once more. Got to build your house on the rock, on the strong foundation, on the solid spot, for the rains may come and go, but the house on the rock stands firm. I don't know if you heard that or not. I think I said that, saying that in my childhood. So you can build your house on the wisdom of God. And if you build it on the wisdom of God, it feeds the inner man, the inner body, the wisdom it needs to grow and mature. And from that wisdom will come your calling, everything you need, and it will last for eternity. And when the devil comes, see, the devil comes to fight and get you to stop. And if your wisdom is built on natural wisdom from this earth, you're building on a sandy land. It may be for God. It may be in the name of God. But if it's not on his wisdom and his direction, it's not really for God. It's really for you trying to appease God. But God's not interested in our offerings to appease him. He wants our offering to be our natural man upon the altar. So like the caterpillar we've been talking about, A caterpillar goes nice and easy into the cocoon and the body lays back and shrivels up and dies off. And then it is rebuilt into a new species and it can fly. But see, your body isn't the same as the, the caterpillar body. Your body has never been made to go into cocoon. So when you take it and say, hey, we're going to go into this cocoon called the prayer closet, you're going to just dissolve Nicely? It says, uh uh-uh, uh, not gonna do it. I am a caterpillar, gonna stay a caterpillar, that's all I ever want to be. But see, you're it's it's so much more than a caterpillar. That's the best in this world that we have to describe it. But you're going from one species to another species. So when you take the world's wisdom and try to teach 
the new creation, who it is from the world's wisdom. That's taking information from the world, from a whole different species. Because it's two different species, so it's, we have nothing in this world. It's a miracle. Salvation is an incredible miracle. That you were able to go from one species to be born into, as a different species, but you did not disappear in the process. He didn't take a chicken and then take the egg and smash it and put an eagle egg in the chicken nest and just give it the same name. Hey, George. Oh, here's a new egg. Your name is George. See, that's not how he did it. He took you out of one species and rebirthed you into being a different species. But you're still wearing the body of the original species. And that body isn't quiet. It isn't just your fingers. It's your brain, your emotions, the natural man trying to tell you who you are, where you're worth. What's the first thing that happens to you when God starts to lead you? You start to say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were going this way. What good is this? I should be doing this. I could be doing that. Because God has created in you a new species and wants to have the wisdom from him to go into you so you will grow and mature and walk in the things that he has for you. You can't get that from the world's wisdom. They say a chicken can't teach an eagle how to fly. That's the truth. But it's even more than an eagle. I mean, that's okay, chicken. But what about a rat trying to teach an eagle how to be an eagle? Like we're talking two different species. They're not even close. They're two complete different species. And so many believers spend their lifetime walking around as the old species, pretending to be a child of God in their actions. But none of what they're doing is coming from the the wisdom of God. It's coming from their natural man trying to please God. Hope that made sense. The natural wisdom will be shut down quick. When the devil gets, when you get the devil's attention, he's a master. He's been around mankind for over 6,000 years and is well trained on how to deal with you and how to get you to get off course. And many times he'll use the very hunger that brought you to God to take you away from God, the very passion that brought you to God to take you away to God, the very zeal that brought you to God. He'll use that to take you away from God, and you won't even know it. That's why the Holy Spirit is our only truth, the only place to find our answer, the only place to find God's wisdom. Because if we take God's wisdom from him and apply it to us as a new creature, he will teach me who I am from him. I won't have some rat trying to tell me how to be an eagle anymore. But that's much of the world. Learning from one species how to be a child of God. And they built whole churches in the name of that. But God has something amazing for us, and it's embarrassing for the church that we've come this far without us walking in it. And that tells you how good the devil is. But I know someone who's been around a lot longer than the devil, who knows what the devil's going to think of before the devil even knows it. And that's God. So I don't have to be afraid of the devil as long as I'm with God. But if I'm outside of God, even serving God, but for my own natural creature that I was. The devil can eat my lunch anytime he wants to. But you don't have to be afraid of the devil if you're with God. So many believers are on that 
identity. I am identifying as a, as a child of God. And so, I mean, I understand that when you're seeing the, the inner man versus the outward man. But when we start to say, for instance, hey, born-again believer, I'm glad you just got saved today. Now you get to go lay hands on the sick. So I want you to go down to the mall and go find all the sick people and say, Jesus wants you healed. Go do it. And you identify with the child of God that you are. But that's like a caterpillar saying, I identify with a butterfly. And I'm getting butterfly wings tattooed on my back. And I'm now a butterfly. I am identifying with my butterfly. I don't identify with my flesh. Yeah, but you still haven't gone through transformation. There's still a metamorphosis that has to happen before you can fly. No, 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 no. I am a butterfly. I believe I can fly. Climbs up to the tallest tree. I'm a butterfly. I can fly. And jumps off and their friends watch him go. Splat. Unfortunately, there's many believers, young believers, who are doing that today. Because they have preachers telling them, quit focusing on growing. Just go and do And I believe there's an element of going and doing, but listen, if we can't hear God lead us, why are we even trying? You can't operate in the impossible without learning from the one who made the impossible possible. So if we go out and do, we may get a few people healed, but then the rest that aren't are destroyed. But you feel good, so I hope you're happy. Because it is really, can be self-serving. Ministry can become very self-serving uh, if you're not careful. I better stop and get mean again. There are sayings, teaching, and wisdom that comes from God. And all that knowledge you can receive now because your inward man, your inward body, your spiritual body is alive because of the new nature in it. So now because your inward body is alive, it must be Trained and taught and learned the knowledge of God, which only comes from God. Your natural man was never able to understand God. And God's not trying to train your natural man. He's trying to mortify that natural man. The wisdom from God is for you. But there is wisdom that comes from this world in the name of God, and it will destroy your life. You may live a whole life successful and give God glory, but God may not have done anything to have it happen. I'll close with this. If it's possible in the world, we can't give God credit for it. If it's possible in the world, a man has the name tag Christian because he accepted Christ, but not trans, never transformed. Doesn't believe in praying in tongues, but he's a good man, and in following God changed him. He's nice to his wife now. He's a better father And so he makes $10 million in his business. See, that man, if he wasn't saved, would probably make $10 million in his business. So that ability to make that money came from the natural world. And even though he gives credit to God for it, if he wasn't born again, he would still be a millionaire. So the wisdom he teaches to you, and say, I'm going to teach you how to be a millionaire like me, because God's blessed me with all this. That's like the little girl that can sing in church is now singing around the world trying to teach you how to sing so you can be blessed like she is. That's like the six foot nine basketball player saying, hey, here's a basketball. Let's have a dunk off. Let's see who can dunk the ball the best. You go first. (laughs) It's a little unfair, but that's worldly wisdom. 
It comes from your abilities in the world. But God's wisdom is equal for all of us, where you can walk in prosperity. You can walk in prosperity, not because you're calling, but because you're a child of God. You can walk in God's power, and you can walk in God's power, not because of your calling, but because of your walk with God. I better stop there. I can keep getting in trouble more and more. We are children of light. We're children of God. And his wisdom will come to us from him. And the day we stop that and chase after natural wisdom to serve God, we may have a great life on this earth. But when we get to heaven, we find out we did it all for ourselves, by ourselves, by our natural man. The impossible is only available from him. If you want to know why it's important to pray in tongues, that's why right there. That's the only place you'll find the wisdom for your calling, for you, for your situation, is from him. Amen. We'll see you in, see you at 10 o'clock.